welcome to CAD Speaker Series Podcast. Hello, I'm Chuck McKenney, Communications Manager at the Centre for International Development, and today we are discussing newly released research, our 2025 growth projections. The projections of annualized growth rates to 2025 are based on the latest 2015 trade data and our newly updated measure of economic complexity, which captures the diversity and sophistication of productive capabilities embedded in a country's exports. CID researchers are seeing a marked shift over the past few years from China to India, where it is likely to stay over the coming decade. The projections are optimistic about new growth hubs in East Africa and new segments of Southeast Asia led by Indonesia and Vietnam. Our guests today are Tim Cheston and Sebastian Bustos, research fellows at CID and members of the team leading the Atlas of Economic Complexity, our online tool that can visualize the country's total trade, track changes over time, and explore growth opportunities for more than 100 countries worldwide. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with Tim. Which countries are leading the growth projections? We see the next decade as being the decade of India, with India topping the charts at 7.7% predicted growth annually for the coming decade to 2025, uh, since the new 2015 data has been released. Also at the top, we find Uganda, actually, also at 7.7%, will have high growth moving forward. And then looking more regionally, there's quite a few other East African countries at the top of the list. We have Tanzania, uh, Malawi, Kenya, all in the top 10 predicted fastest growing countries, along with many countries in Southeast Asia, uh, led by newcomers, uh, Indonesia and Vietnam, who now join them at the top uh, 20 countries that we predict will grow the fastest in the coming decade, and China, which has led growth in the world for the past three decades, we now see as slowing down in its growth as it's realized significant income gains uh, over the past decade. Could you explain what is economic complexity and how these projections differ from, from others we might see? Certainly. You know, our research over the past decade has found some consistent facts across the world, and that is that Poor countries are often defined as those that produce few goods that nearly every other country can produce, while rich countries produce a great diversity of goods, including those products like electronics or aerospace that few countries know how to produce. So therefore, we have this differentiation between the complex products that require a wide variety of capabilities that few countries possess and are able to produce, being able to sustain a growth level that is faster than countries that have few capabilities. So fundamentally, we think the measure of economic complexity is driven by the consistent diversification of available capabilities and the increasing specialization and sophistication of those capabilities, which allow for not only producing more goods, but goods of a higher complexity that that is driving growth. So products differ in their complexity. Can you give us an example of simple versus complex? Sure. So, you know, take coffee. Coffee has been produced the exact same way for millennia and is able to be produced in some of the you know most remote locales in the world and can require very few kind of logistics in order to get across a bumpy road and get to market three months after original production and still make the coffee that you and I both drink. And then compare that to a product like a smartphone. You know, smartphones barely existed five years ago, much less a decade ago. And the smartphone that existed initially five years ago looks nothing like the smartphone today. So not only do smartphones require a very diverse range of 
capabilities, both in the production, but also in the logistics and the transport to market, understanding the consumer and sales that needs to continuously adapt to market dynamics. Once you become very good at coffee, you can redeploy those capabilities into a few other products versus areas like smartphones and screen technology can then be adapted into other types of electronics and a country can use that know-how generated in one product to more readily enter into many more higher productivity products and electronics. Fascinating. Thanks. Um, let's dig deeper into the data. Sebastian, can you tell us what data are used to calculate these projections? Sure. So to estimate what the team was explaining, we would like to have production data around the world. Since that data is not readily available, we use a trick that is to use export data that is uh, basically put together by Comtrade. So that allows us to uh, see what are the countries exporting and where in, in which markets they are competitive. What we have done over the last years is to get that data, clean it up, make it consistent, and that allows us to uh, measure in which products countries are competitive exporters. Once we identify the products in which countries are competitive, we measure the diversity of the export basket of countries and also the ubiquity of those uh, products. And we, we use these two measures to be able to identify the complexity of the export basket of countries. So given what we observe about the diversity and ubiquity, we put at the top of the chart countries like Germany, Japan, and Switzerland, which are able to produce many sophisticated things that only a few countries can produce. And at the bottom of the chart, we have uh, mostly countries that export mainly uh, commodities like oil or other mining activities. What are you seeing with the newly released 2015 data? So two interesting things. One is that uh, we have the first downturn in international trade since the big recession of 2009. And that the downturn is mostly driven by the fall in commodity prices, mostly the price of oil. The second interesting thing that we observe in the data is the, the first decline of China's export volumes since 2009, which Tim has been following in the last year. Absolutely. So what's interesting here also is that it parallels the fall in economic complexity rankings for China for the first time year on year since 2009. Over the long term, China has made rapid gains in its, in its complexity by being able to diversify its export basket by continuing to add productive capabilities to move into very sophisticated products in machinery and electronics. That has more than doubled income per capita in less than a decade. So we've seen remarkable growth for China through this process of diversification and greater economic complexity. But that realization of further growth means that it actually falls closer in line with its actual current level of economic complexity, meaning that its future growth potential, therefore, we predict will slow, uh, will remain well above the world average, but at 4.4% annually for the coming decade, the slowdown in growth is expected to continue in China moving forward. In other words, the room for easy growth in China is uh, more difficult now. And that's why we're expecting slower rates of growth in the next decade. What patterns do you find in the growth projections and what distinguishes the fastest growing countries? Let's say, is there a regional concentration, country size, low, middle income, advanced economic division? You know, overall, we, we have seen the recent trend in which the advanced economies are growing much more slowly than 
a lot of emerging markets. Uh, we predict that that trend will continue, although not uniformly, and also slowing of late in many uh, emerging markets. It's a tough job for researchers to try to figure out what unites some of the countries that we have at the top of the list. So what unites India, Turkey, Indonesia, Uganda, and Bulgaria is a, a difficult challenge. You know, it's not united by some easy pattern of democratic governance, some increase in overall university enrollment, or some regional focus or country size. But actually, what we think unites a lot of these countries at the top of the growth projections is their progress in diversifying the capabilities that exist within their uh, economy that now makes it easier to move into many more new products to continue that growth over the coming decade. Was there anything unexpected in your calculations? You know, certainly. I think some of these trends have been going on for a long period of time. So as Sebastian mentioned, we can now see the, the reduction in global trade in 2015 now that the commodity prices, especially oil, have come down. So we've for a long time been more pessimistic about those economies that are dependent on one commodity or resource like oil to have slower growth over the long term that is now beginning to play out in many uh, oil economies. But overall, in comparison to some of the other growth projections that we've seen, including more fully comprehensive estimates done by the IMF, the Economist Intelligence Unit, and others, we find ourselves being a little bit more pessimistic than those growth projections on countries that include Bangladesh, Iran, uh, and Cuba, and actually find a little bit greater optimism for countries like Uganda, Mexico, Tanzania, and Brazil. So there have been uh, some surprises, and we think that what unifies those countries are that the real progress they've made in diversifying the capabilities that allow them to move into new economic sectors and increase the complexity of their production. You know, I was surprised to see Uganda at the top of the list uh, shared with India. And what we did find is that they, are, they share the top spot for very different reasons. And that Uganda is facing rapid population growth, which is driving the gains to the entire economy overall. And that once done on a per capita basis, we think Uganda's growth will be more on the lines of 4.5% per year for the coming decade. Versus India has truly made significant gains in diversifying its exports moving into more sophisticated and complex areas of, of basic electronics, as well as some areas of machinery that have truly diversified their productive capabilities, not only now, but allow for easier movements into related products going forward. So overall, even on a per capita basis, we have India at 6.6% growth overall. So it remains at the top of the list when considering population growth. So. Let's talk about the Economic Complexity Index and the countries that are ranked within it. Um, who are the biggest movers in complexity? So in terms of ranking, we have at the top of the ranking, Japan, Germany, and Switzerland. And when it comes to the biggest winners over the last decade, we have countries like uh, the Philippines, Botswana, and Malawi, which have done great improvement in their complexity. Most would assume the United States is at the top near or at the top of the complexity index. Um, wh where do they fall? In 2015, we have the United States at the ninth most complex economy in the world. And that actually shows a, a small improvement since 2005, moving up from the 11th spot. So uh, it is certainly near the top. But what we find is that the top of the rankings have not changed dramatically over the, the past decade and still have Japan, Germany, in Switzerland, followed by South Korea and Austria. So economies that have truly kind of mastered the most complex products at the top while maintaining a very diversified basket of, of exports. 
So how would a country like the United States become more complex in, in the index? I mean, the big picture that we have here is, you know, in the conventional wisdom, a lot of countries like to talk about innovation. And what we're seeing on a global perspective is that those countries that are at the technological frontier are facing lower growth projections, just given the risk that is involved in moving and trying to develop new product lines and new product segments that don't exist anywhere in the world today. And actually, those countries that face the highest growth potential uh, Sebastian mentioned the Philippines, Botswana, Malawi made significant gains, not in innovating and creating new products, but actually adapting products that exist elsewhere into their local economy to diversify the products that they produce while creating jobs at a higher wage level than they currently have. So what we see is that uh, the countries at the technological frontier, at the top of the complexity rankings, will have growth challenges moving forward and face a kind of moderate to low growth scenario uh, as it's hard to predict what new products will be developed. And those countries that have made rapid gains uh, in complexity and adapting new products to their local context are those that face the highest growth perspectives in the coming decade. On the flip side, which countries are, are the biggest losers? The countries that have fallen the most in the economic complexity ranking are Cuba, Zimbabwe, and Venezuela, countries which have suffered political constraints that have limited their ability to produce and compete in international markets. Yeah, let me, let me just add that it's a very difficult process to add additional capabilities uh, into an economy. You know, countries face a very basic chicken and egg problem. Take the case of watchmakers. So, so nobody wants to learn to become a watchmaker if there's no watchmaking industry that can employ them. But at the same time, no watchmaking industry wants to go into a location that doesn't have watchmakers that are trained and available locally. So adding additional capabilities and receiving the rewards for those who are trained in those new capabilities is a very difficult process that often requires coordination between public and private entities. So, so we see that in these countries that have fallen the most in the rankings, there often is uh, significant political interference in adding new capabilities to that process that has limited the diversification of their export basket, therefore predicting lower growth than the average global growth for the coming decade. That's great insight. Do either of you have any final thoughts? You know, I think it just bears mentioning that, you know, these growth projections are not set in stone, that a lot of how this will play out is in the hands of a lot of uh, many different agents in terms of both those who can add on new capabilities, as well as the policymakers who can really facilitate these processes of diversifying uh, the production in an economy, particularly into the direction of more complex goods. So while these projections are based on the initial baseline from 2015, a lot remains to be determined to see who will be the truly fastest growing countries in the coming decade. And there are still many, and there are still many interventions that countries can take today to propel them to faster growth in the coming decade. Great. Thank you both. That's all the time we have. Visit atlas.cid.harvard.edu for a complete summary of the 2025 growth projections and the updated economic complexity index. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.